to this week is World Optometry Week, and so we're going to focus on eye health for our health feature today. So let me invite Dr. Dirk Boyson, who is a clinical optometrist and a member of the South African Orthopedic Association. Dr. Boyson, good morning to you, and thank you for your time today. Morning, Kathy, and thanks for inviting me and uh, to speak on this day and on, on our profession and what we do. Mm. And I know that the, the idea of eye health can be quite broad because people will face uh, different issues and challenges when it comes to their eyes. But perhaps just a, a good place to start off with, what are the things that we should all know and all remember about how to keep our eyes healthy? Well, Kathy, interestingly enough, your eyes probably the only part of your brain that's outside of your body. So your, your, your eyes are part of your brain and you should see it like that. So never put drops in that you don't need. It's, um, it's not a good idea to keep on using drops. Rather see somebody and actually have a look at what the problem is if you have a sort of a red eye or discomfort instead of just putting any drops in your eyes. Some of these things are very much habit forming. Mm-hmm. So the, the over-the-counter drops that makes your eye white if you start using that long term you know it's very difficult to get patients off those things and then they've got under underlying problems that they don't see in terms of your vision i think it's very important to have um, regular checkups it's like going to the dentist you know if you don't go to the dentist you might lose some teeth if you don't go and see your optometrist or an eye care practitioner every now and then especially if you have problems you know, things get bad quite quickly. And, uh, you know, when you get to intervene, it may be late in some cases. Some of the diseases out there, like glaucoma, are very, very difficult to diagnose. And the reason that's so difficult to diagnose is that the patients don't have any symptoms until very, very late in the, in the course of the disease. Then they start losing vision. And by that time, it's not something that you can turn around and sort out um, so we like to see patients regularly. You know, I normally say when you have children, before they go to school, they have to have an examination. And if there's an issue with them every year or if there's no issue every two years, um, certainly if you're an adult and you're over 30, I would say an annual examination. If you're over 40, also an annual examination. When you're young and you don't have much problems every two or three or four years, even if there's no problems. But it's very important to just have a checkup every now and then and make sure everything is running smoothly. What do you find? Oh, actually, I wanted to ask you one question about the eye drops. Why is it that people shouldn't use eye drops regularly? Is it uh, some the ingredients in the eye drops, or what particular reason do you have for that? Yeah, if you if you for instance think about eye drops that people buy, you know, mm-hmm. um, the main one they go and buy is something to take the red out. You know, it's a I don't want to mention brand names, but you can buy it sort of at any shop over the counter. Even at uh, a filling station at their shops, you can buy these drops over the counter. And what these things do is they vasoconstrict us. So all they do is they narrow the blood vessels on the front of your eye. So by narrowing the blood vessels, your eye looks whiter and it feels a little bit better because there's less flow there, so the heat has gone. The problem with that is if you keep on using those things, you're actually not treating the underlying problem. So why is your eye red in the first place? And if mm-hmm. you've got a chronic red eye, you might have something like a, a dry eye disease or any other thing that could be leading to this. Now, you're putting the, these other drops in, so you, you're just masking this, the symptoms a little bit. And the trouble with these vasoconstrictors is they, they tend to become habit-forming. So your eye waits for the drop before it closes the blood vessels down. So eventually you walk around with a red eye if you don't put any of the drops in. 
and it can take quite a long time to get people, you know, um, off these drops. The other thing is, you know, about 80% of the drop that you put into your eye runs into your nose and goes into your throat and can become systemically absorbed. And some of these, these drugs can have systemic effects as well. So if you overdose on them, you can, you know, have some systemic effects, which are not, not very good. Mm. So it's very important to um, to not use things. Have, go and look at and see somebody if there's a problem and have a look at what's going on and fix it. And and, and, and for, for itchy eyes? Well, itchy eyes is a different story. So itchy eyes is very seasonal. So you find as soon as there's a change in season, especially with younger people, they'll tend to have itchy eyes because it's associated with allergies. So it's an allergic conjunctivitis normally. And there are certain products on the market that you can use prophylactically when the seasons change to stop that. One of the easiest things to do if, you, if you've got an itchy eye is just go and wash your face with cold water and you typically get rid of some of the allergens that are on the skin and around the eyes and it will feel better. But if you really have serious itchy eyes, you also need to have it addressed and seen to. But rubbing your eyes is really very bad for them. So you, you can actually start you know, causing problems and diseases like keratoconus is associated with severe eye rubbing. And especially people living in a rural environment. You know, one of my students is, is currently doing a master's thesis on vernal keratoconjunctivitis in um, Polokwane area. Um, and this is an allergy disease which is quite severe and that leads to a lot of problems with, with young people's corneas eventually. So she's looking at how to address this and, and actually working towards... Um, you know, mainstream medicine, working with traditional healers and stuff, so that everybody's on the same page in terms of um, of treating this problem, because mm. it's really, really debilitating eventually. Mm. And you bring me then to to my next question, and perhaps you know we can just go back to what the profile of, of disease looks like in the country. So, so what are the common um, eye problems or eye conditions that you find uh, our population in South Africa generally suffers from? All right. So, so most legal, you know, I wouldn't say legal blindness, or most visual problems are associated with refractive problems. So you need glasses, glasses or contact lenses to fix them. So most people that have visual problems or vision problems need glasses. So there's a lot of people out there that don't have glasses or they don't have access to glasses. So they still need to be seen and, 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 and that, that problem addressed. The next very common one is cataracts. You know, when you get older, the lens inside your eye gets harder and it yellows um, and, and it goes opaque. So you can't see through a cataract. So a cataract needs to be extracted. That's a surgical procedure. And then after that, these patients do quite well. And after that, the other one that's really, really big is glaucoma. Glaucoma is a, is a sight-threatening chronic condition. So once you've got glaucoma, you can't get rid of it. The idea with glaucoma is then to manage it till you die so that you keep on seeing because if you don't manage it, you will lose your vision. So in glaucoma, for instance, in, in, in the white population, about 2% prevalence. So 2% of the white population will end up with glaucoma. In, in our black population, that's over 5%. So there's many people that are out there that have glaucoma because it's so difficult to diagnose. The World Health Organization states that at least 50% of people with glaucoma are not even diagnosed. They don't even know they have it. So the problem with those guys is once the, the nerve gets injured at the back of the eye, that vision is gone forever. You cannot bring it back. So the idea is to manage it with drops or even a small surgical procedure or stuff to lower the pressure in the eye 
once that's done, you can actually maintain vision, you know, for the for the for the life expectancy of the patient. So those are the top ones. Then there are other things like keratoconus, which is a disease of the cornea, which is very common amongst our Indian population and some Afrikaans people. Um, also with people, you know, associated with allergy, which rubs their eyes badly, they tend to get this. Um, and other things, you know, like conjunctivitis, which is just an infection of the front of the eye. Things like that are common, but not sight threatening. So the big ones are refractive error, which is not corrected, cataracts, which you get as you get older, and then glaucoma, which is a chronic disease, which affects mainly, in our country, mainly black people, but also white people, and it's also age-related. Mm. You've raised an important issue around the ability of people to access um, medical services, in particular for any challenges uh, that, that concern their, their vision. Why do you think that we are in the state where the access is, is so poor? Uh, you know, you talked about how a lot of people who need glasses actually can't access glasses. Well, I think it's it's multifactorial. I think um, if you look at the public health system, I, I think it's due for a proper overall. They do what they can with the available um, resources they have. So, you know, um, if if you've got people that are living in a rural area, you know, for them to travel, I mean, when I was working at the university clinic, we used to see people that traveled for a day to come and see us at the clinic. Um, and then, you know, we had some, some programs in place that we could help them. Those people should be helped in their area. So in terms of the, the public health system, we need to really look at how we can actually go out there and address these issues with, with, these, with these patients. Um, optometry is not very well represented in the, in, the, in the public health sector, and we're working on obviously improving that so that we can actually get the, the people onto ground level to actually see these patients. The other problem is if you're going to, you know, to supply eyewear to patients, these things cost money. They're not cheap, and there's only limited funds available to actually, you know, you know, supply a pair of spectacles to to patients that are in the public sector. The other thing is, you know, in our country, there's about just under 4,000 optometrists that are practicing, and just about 400, probably four to 500 specialist ophthalmologists that practice. So if you're looking at 60-plus million people, it becomes a, a tricky situation, especially on the surgical side, to provide surgery for all these people if there's only 400 people or 500 people that can do the surgery. And maybe of those 500, there's 300 of them working in the public sector. So the numbers are, are a little bit staggering, um, and that's one of the issues that we have. So in terms of the private care, a lot of private practitioners will go out, like our practices, like outreach programs, that we go out and actually go and see people and, and do the work. The trouble is if you have a private practice and you advertise that you see public patients, that's all you're going to do. Then, you know, you'll get swamped because there's, there's so much work out there. Mm. So the idea is to actually get systems in place that we can, can help people. Um, I'm not sure if National Health is going to sort that out. We'll have to see and, and see where we are. But it, it's a huge problem. And I mean... If you look at, at glaucoma, one of the other big things that's the problem with eye care is diabetes. Diabetes affects the eyes quite badly. So if glaucoma is a problem, now you've got people with diabetes which get eye problems eventually. They also need specialized care. So it just snowballs and it gets worse and worse. So we really need a good overall of the public health system. When it comes to some of the risks for uh, particularly people who are vision impaired, uh, who, who need the assistance of glasses, what happens when they don't receive um, th this assistance? 
Well, if you if you don't wear your glasses, you just don't see. So uh, if you wear the glasses, obviously improves your vision. Mm-hmm. The fact that you don't wear your glasses won't make your eyes weaker. Your eyes will become weaker because of the, the, the way they work and, and, and you know the size of the eyeball and the curvature, etc. So the glasses improve your vision. So glasses focus everything for you to see. So if you think about it this way, if you have a vision problem and you haven't got glasses to, to see properly, how are you going to do your work? How do you get from A to B to go and do your work? So all of these things need to be in, factored in. So if somebody can't do their work, maybe it's a visual problem that they can't see properly so that if they have a pair of glasses, they can actually get a job and actually do the work. So, so in terms of not wearing glasses, you just don't see. But when you put them on, it obviously focuses the world and you can function better in the world. Yeah. The fact that you don't wear them won't make your eyes weaker. Your eyes will become weaker because of other reasons. All right. And and there certainly is a perception that, you know, if you don't wear glasses, then uh, your eyes do become weaker. But that's something that uh, we can explore more of. We're in conversation with Dr. Dirk Boyson. We're focusing on our eye health today. And as always, uh, you're more than welcome to call in and ask Dr. Boyson specific questions on 11 714 on the WhatsApp line 614 It's 11.30. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're focusing on eye health. Dr. Dirk Boyson is our guest for today. Already some of your questions coming through uh, for Dr. Boyson. So, uh, Dr. Boyson, you you know, you mentioned this, the fact that if people don't wear their glasses, it doesn't necessarily uh, worsen their eye condition. And it really is one of the uh, misconceptions that, that, that at least I always had. And people talk about it, that if you don't wear your glasses, uh, then, you know, you you're going to worsen the condition of your eyes. Are there other misconceptions that uh, you you can talk about more broadly? Thanks, Cathy. Yeah, just just to qualify a little bit, if you're a young person and you become short-sighted, one of the things that we've noticed now from the literature and the research that's coming out, if you don't wear your glasses and they're not correct for you at that stage, it tends to worsen the myopia. So you become more short-sighted. Okay. But that that accounts for young people, and it's a very different scenario. But if you, for instance, are you know reading glasses and you don't wear them, you're just not going to read. You know the fact that your eyes need reading glasses is really nothing to do with the fact that you've got glasses. The other misconception is that if you wear glasses, you become dependent on them and you can't read and you can't work without them. And that's certainly true because if you, I always say to my patients, it's like you can walk in the bush without shoes. It's not a problem. You can do that. It's just not comfortable because you'll pick up a few thorns here and there. So glasses are there to help you. It's an aid to make your life easier. So certainly if you put a pair of reading glasses on and now you can read quite nicely and you take them off, your body's going to tell you, but listen, where's those glasses? Because it's much easier to work with them than without them. And if you need them, it makes life easier. So the fact that you don't use them will, will increase your symptoms and your discomfort. The only provisio that I have is with young people that are short-sighted. They need they need very accurate prescriptions, and they need to be checked annually and or six monthly, depending on which practitioner you see, to keep their prescriptions up to date and to try and avoid them becoming weaker. Mm. What we can do with short-sighted people now is we can at least halve their prescriptions that they end up with, just by certain things that, and how you treat them. 
So in the old days, you know, when I was in the education system and we were taught, we were told always undercorrect your, your short-sighted people because it tends to stop the progression of the short-sightedness, which has now been proven not to be true. You actually have to be very accurate with their, with their prescriptions. And short-sightedness is not only a problem visually, but it has a lot of connotations with diseases like glaucoma, retinal detachment. So you don't want them to become too short-sighted. You, know, you want to try and avoid them getting worse and worse all the time. So we can now at least stop about 50% of the progression. All right. Uh, Dr. Boyson, I already have questions coming in for you. Let me begin with this one. Uh, it says, hi, I would like to ask what the reason of a cataract to a young adult may be. I had a cataract surgery when I was 27, and when I researched it, I found that it normally happens to older people. Uh, so why did it happen when I was young? All right, so cataracts are typically age-related. So, you know, as we get older, most people end up with a cataract. doesn't matter if you like it or not, it will probably happen. But cataracts can be caused by a lot of other things. You can have congenital cataracts, so you can be born with a cataract. You know, it could be something that you're born with. They tend to be very stable and they don't interfere much with vision. Cataracts can be caused by drugs. So, if you, for instance, use corticosteroids or steroid drops or steroids, um, nasal inhalers or tablets that can also cause cataracts. can also be caused by things like radiation. So if you wear, for instance, in a glass-blowing furnace, you get cataracts because of the infrared light. So cataracts have many causes. Diabetes, for instance, can cause cataracts. So there's a lot of systemic disease that can also cause it. So if you go and look at that patient's profile and his health specifically, you'll probably find something that happened somewhere that caused it. The other one is, is a big one is injury as well. So if you get a blow to the eye or something like that, that can also lead to cataract formation. All right. Uh, the other question here is, hi, Cathy, ask the doctor what causes mucus fishing syndrome and what can one do to treat it? I've been using Artelec Eye Bright Eye Drops as prescribed by an optometrist, but it seems to be getting worse. All right, so mucus fishing... Um, it's called mucus fishing because people have these little strands of mucus in their eyes and then they sit with their fingers and they dig it out or they go fishing for the mucus. So if you think about your tear film, your tear film is like a little sandwich. So on the inside, on the closest to the eye itself, is that mucus. And that's secreted by little cells that sit on the white of your eye, mostly. So what the job of the mucus is to attach the other part of the tear film to the front of the eye so it doesn't run away. So a good example is you take a a hose pipe and you just spray water on a, on a glass plane window, the water just runs away. If you, for instance, take a bit of sunlight liquid and rub it on the window, the water will stick a little bit longer and it'll, it'll adhere to the surface. So the mucus does that job. The next layer of the tear film is watery, and that's where all the nutrients and stuff are in, and there's lysosome and stuff in that kill bacteria, et cetera, et cetera. And that comes from a gland which is under the bone, at the temporal or the, the outside part of your eye socket. So that's your watery tears, and that's the one that, you know, if you cry or something gets in your eye, that produces a lot more of that tears. Then the outside layer of the tear form is oily. That stops evaporation and it protects your skin, and that comes from little glands in your eyelids. So all three of these layers have to work together in concert. If they don't work together, you tend to get something like a dry eye syndrome. So you can get dry eye because you don't have enough tear production. 
where you can get dry eye because there's evaporation, the oily layer is a problem. And then you also get a low tear break at time because the mucin is not actually holding the tears on the front of the eye. So if you've got a dry eye problem, you need to address the dry eye problem. Otherwise, what will happen is your body will say, okay, let's see if I can fix the problem. So either produce more tears, which is a watery tear, and it just keeps running over your eyelid, or it produces more mucus to try and protect the tear from. And that's the, when people have this, this mucus that they then dig out with these long strings. Mm-hmm. Now also, important to know, in the morning you wake up, you have to have some mucus in your eye. Otherwise, I mean, there's nothing going on. But you have have a little bit of sleep, and the sleep that you have in your eyes is mucus strands. There are various ways of treating this mucus fishing. The main thing is to treat the underlying problem. So you have to have an accurate diagnosis. Is it what type of dry eye? Is it a dry eye? Is it maybe an allergy? And then you address that, that directly, and you'll sort out the mucus fishing. All right. Let me go to the phone lines in Centurion. David, good morning. Good morning, Kate. How are you? I'm well, thank you, David. Um, I would like to ask a doctor that it's possible to heal a routine without the surgery. Is it, and, uh, is it possible to what, David? To heal a, routine, a, a, a cataract without the, without the surgery. Okay, okay. All right. Okay, David. Um, sorry, Kathy, can I answer? Yes, yes, please go ahead. Okay. All right, David. So there's been a lot of talk about drops that can reverse cataracts. I've been in this profession 38 years. I still haven't seen one that works. So the way to get rid of a cataract is to do the surgery and get it out. It's a very small procedure. It's very safe and very, very effective at restoring vision. Any kind of drop or drug that you put in your eye will have side effects elsewhere. So if you put something in there that's now going to sort of say, for instance, argumentatively dissolve the cataract, it will have detrimental effects elsewhere. So the way to go for for, and fix cataract is to go and have the surgery and get it done. Don't believe everything you read on Dr. Google. That doesn't work. All right. David, I hope that answers your question. Uh, can I ask the, uh, the last one? Yes, you can. Uh, my, my my right eye has a, a they say it's a CNV retina, and then it caused the left eye to have a, a, um, a cataract. I don't understand how it's possible to happen. All right. So cytomegalovirus is associated with immune problems. So if your immune system is compromised, you tend to get this kind of infection. And that affects your retina quite badly. So that could also lead to cause a cataract. But but you need to have um, a general systemic checkup to make, make sure what's actually going on, get the CMV treated properly, and then um, and obviously have a cataract done. So I think there's a lot more going on than they're telling you. So I think you need to just have a good look at what's going on with your systemic health before you do anything. So, you know, the surgeon that obviously is going to look at your cataract will, will obviously look at that and, and decide which is the best course of action for you. Oh, okay, thanks. All right, David. Thanks, I ho- David. I, ho- I hope that helps. Uh, let me go to Joburg Vusi. Good morning. Good morning, Sisi. Mm. Uh, uh, I want to ask the doctor. Um, I'm a BP water patient. So sometimes one hour I won't see properly. I won't be clear. Maybe after one hour or two minutes, then I'll be right. I'll be fine. So why? And, and another question, 
the ice have water. Uh, when you go to the water, when you go to the optometrist, they always tell you about glasses. So I don't know that one for that minute, one or one hour needs a glass because I'm I'm a patient. I'm a what a blood high blood pressure patient. So do I need glass for that? I I, I don't know. Maybe doctor can explain. Because every time they, when you go to them, they tell you about glasses. There's no other solution without that without glasses. Thank you. Okay, so so obviously hypertension does have a detrimental effect on your eye health. So so if you think about your retina, your retina is a very fine little blood vessel. That Doctor Poison, just hang on for me. Um, I'm going to ask you just to try and turn down yeah, the volume. I think that, that also works. Maybe we'll just... Uh, so you can just listen on, on the radio to hear what um, Dr. Boyson has to say. Dr. Boyson? All right. Okay. Thanks, um, Kathy. So, Wussi, um hypertension is a very serious problem. So you need to have your hypertension seen to properly. So um, that affects your cardiovascular health. So if you think about the blood vessels in the back of your eye that supply the retina where the little cells are that you see with. If you tell me that you see one minute and you don't see the next minute and things like that, that would indicate to me there's either a perfusion pressure problem, so the eye is not getting enough blood supply and not enough oxygen, and that may be one of the reasons you settle. Um, and, and that can lead to really serious problems. You can have a stroke in your eye, for instance, and lose the, uh, the, the function of that eye completely. So I, I suggest that that you obviously see somebody for a proper cardiovascular checkup, get your blood pressure under control, and then go and see somebody that can help you with your visual problems. In terms of the tearing, that could be anything. It could be a symptom because you're not seeing well. It could be dry eye. It could be an allergy. It could be a climate type thing. It could be. It could virtually be anything. Dr. Poison? Yes, yes, I'm there. there. All right, okay. I'm not sure what's happening with uh, with that line, but we seem to be having a bit of uh, disturbance of feedback, feedback. Um, uh, when it comes to the line. So, so, so you know, in terms of Wussy's question about getting glasses then, um, given the fact that you, you're suggesting Thank that you. the problem may be arising from his immunity, uh, do you think that glasses would be the answer for somebody like him? Well, I think, you know, if you go to the optometrist or your eye care practitioner, he actually needs to coordinate with, with maybe as a general practitioner or a physician to, in actual fact, work out uh, a solution for both these patients that phone in, Vusi, and um, I think the other guy that phone in as well. So both of those chaps need to have a very, very good checkup, a medical examination, mm. and not only an eye examination. So a lot of these things that they have are systemic, and the systemic stuff's not sorted out. I mean, it doesn't really matter what you do in terms of a pair of glasses. It's not going to make much difference. If you don't have blood flow in the eye, there's no glasses in the world that can improve that. So you obviously need to look at them, and, and, and the person that they see need to coordinate with somebody that has other expertise in another field that can help them with it. Mm, all right. Let me go to Didier. Tyrone, good morning. Hello. Hi, Tyrone. Hello. Yes, Tyrone, you're live on the radio. Oh, is that uh, oh, is that Kathy? Yes, it is, Tyrone. 
Oh, wonderful to speak to you, Cathy. First time caller. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Tyrone. Uh, Cathy, can, can I explain just to the doc what is the problem? Yes. And okay. I can listen on the radio because my reception in the area where I am is very bad. Can I explain it to him? It's very straightforward. And can I listen on the radio? Would that be fair enough? No problem, Tyrone. Go for it. Uh, two months ago, I went blind in the right eye. But it, the, the blind, then the, in 24 hours, it came back. It was fine. After about five or six days, this, the eye went totally blind. Now, it's still blind, and it's been like that. For, it's, it's, this is the third week now. Please, get, uh, Kathy, if I can listen to the radio. That's all I'm asking. Uh, and Tyrone, do you have any other underlying conditions that you may be aware of? Yeah. No. Tyrone, how about your blood pressure, your cardiovascular health? How old are you? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, good. I'm very, very good there, doctor. I'm 100 percent there, Doc. How old are you? And my age, my age is 71. Okay. All right. So, so Tyrone, if I listen to you, you had hello. Something we can you hear me, Tyrone? Or you want to listen on no, the radio? Very bad. Tyrone, it's fine. You can put the phone down and and listen on the radio. I think. I think you. I thank you so much. It's so important. Thank you, Cathy. You did oh. a good job, buddy. Keep it up, eh? No problem. Thank you, Tyrone. All right, Dr. Boyson, you can continue. All right, Cathy. It sounds to me, look, Tyrone is in a risky group, uh, an age group, in terms of, of cardiovascular problems. So there's a few things that can cause sudden loss. So you can get sudden painless loss of vision, and you're going to get also a, a painful loss of vision. So in his case, it sounds like the painless type. Now, there's some things that can cause that, and that would be something like a, a retinal artery obstruction, which is a stroke of the of the eye itself. And that sometimes is preceded by, you know, an episode where you lose vision and then it comes back. So that's how a little clot then moves and, 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 and as it moves past its place where it's clotted or the, the whatever the thrombus sits, then it comes back again, the vision. The fact that it's now permanent means that that vessel is now probably permanently obstructed. So, so the chances of regaining sight in that eye is very, very slight. But that would indicate to me that he needs to have a good general checkup. He needs to go for cardiovascular checkup. The other one is could be a vascular occlusion, and that normally is associated with a vein that gets clotted up. So you don't actually get the blood flow coming back out of the eye, and you get this, what we call a blood and thunder funder. So you get lots of these engorged blood vessels and leakage. And that can later on lead to some severe problems with pressure and stuff in the eye and new blood vessels forming and, and, and makes a big mess. Other things are, you know, I can think of things like temporal arteritis, which is a, an inflammation of the, the, the arteries and the arteries narrow down and then it also reduces blood flow. So, so whatever you said to me now indicates to me that there's something systemic going on and most likely cardiovascular, you know, things like like hypertension, diabetes, things like that that he needs to have seen to, which he may not be aware of that he has. Mm, mm. So, so the advice then, Dr. Boyson, is just for him to go and get a, a thorough checkup and, and just have them run a, a whole lot of tests to, just to uh, check. Straight, some... straight to his GP, and the GP will start looking at what's going on and then, mm. then refer him out. You know, If he goes to an optometrist, the optometrist will probably send him to the GP and the GP will do it. So... My first call in his case, I'd go straight to my GP and go and check everything out and then start looking for, for for causes and actually treatment and get it sorted out. Because if it happens to the one eye, likely it is going to maybe the on the other eye is about 7 to 10% within two to three weeks that that eye can be affected as well. Sure.
And that's not what we want. Mm. All right. All right, Tyrone, I hope that you heard that advice and that you will act on it quickly as Dr. Boyson is advising. Let's take a quick break. I'm going to continue with this conversation. Lots of your WhatsApp voice notes and messages for Dr. Boyson too. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point. Dr. Dirk Boyson is our guest for our health feature today, and we're focusing on eye health. Uh, So, Dr. Boyson, I still have lots of questions for you. Uh, One message here says, Kathy, our public health allocation for eye care is on a two-year cycle. Would the replacement of spectacles, glasses by laser treatment not be a longer-term solution? Thanks, Kathy. That's not a bad question in the sense that, you know, laser treatment has, has been promoted to to obviously fix things and that you don't need glasses. Um, in reality, it's not that simple. Um, first of all, laser is not a cheap option. I think it's a, it's quite an expensive um, option to fix uh, or to do the LASIK surgery and stuff for patients. The other thing is it's not 100% accurate. So sometimes there's some prescription left over and, and, and that still needs and requires some spectacle correction. Although it's not a common thing, but it does happen. And um, it cannot fix every problem. So the main problem that you have is when people go over 40 years of age and all need reading glasses. So, so laser doesn't really work for that. Um, and there's no really successful surgery to actually fix that. There's some new drops that's come on the market now called Zuity, which we haven't got here yet, which may assist you know people that 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 have problems with their close work that they might be able to use a drop instead of a pair of glasses. But in my view, it's still going to be necessary to wear the glasses. Mm. Um, the other thing is also you don't jump into surgery willy-nilly. It's not a good idea to operate on a healthy eye. So if, if the eye is not healthy and it's got a disease and stuff, then it becomes much easier to justify an operation. If you do an op on a healthy eye and something goes wrong, you stand to lose a lot of vision, which is never a good thing. So it's not something that you just do. You have to think about it very carefully. And then other, there are certain conditions that, that don't avail themselves to laser treatment. So it's not for everybody. And we're very selective on, on who we actually send for LASIK or laser procedures. Mm. Claire and George says, uh, morning, Kathy and the listeners. I was told by an ophthalmologist that the best solution for cleaning eyes is to dissolve a level teaspoon each of bicarb and salt into 600 milliliters of water. Yeah, you can do that. Or you can just clean your eyes with, with fresh water, you know, um, I've had some patients that tell me they use fresh urine early in the morning to clean their eyes. Not that I recommend that, um, but some people do that. So there's, there's a lot of these things out there. and They are commercially available products. If you really want to, to have a, a, an eye bath or a solution that you want to clean your eyes, with, just use saline, you know, just a, a, a salt solution that, that works really, really well. But if you clean your eyes with fresh water, even while you're in the shower, you know, I wouldn't suggest that you rinse your eye on the inside, but just clean your eyes properly. It's not an issue at all. Um, but, but obviously there are things out there and they're commercially available products that you can also use to do that. Fresh urine, Dr. Boyson. Yes. No, I've heard everything. I've been around a long time. So I've seen things and I've heard things that I just asked the patient when she told me, I said to her, well, 
hope it's your own urine. Otherwise, I'm really worried. <laughs> All right. Let's take a couple of WhatsApp voice notes for you. So what I'll do is that I'll play the voice note and then you can just respond straight after. Okay. okay. Hi, Can you please ask the daughter for me? Um, my 14-year-old daughter, um, for about a week now, she's been having itchy eyes. Um, then we noticed over the weekend that there's a red dot on her left eye. And it seems that the, that red dot now is, is, is increasing and it, it, it's causing headaches for her. So what might be the problem and um, what might be the possible cure for the problem? Thank you. It's in in the Eastern Cape. All right. So the ETR is probably an allergy-related thing, but it could also be an infection or an inflammation of the eye itself. Normally with a red eye, we always talk about inflammation, not straight away infection. So if the red dot that he sees there is not going away, that obviously needs a little bit of attention, and that would indicate inflammation. So my view is just go to somebody and have it checked and seen to and, and get the right treatment for it. It's very difficult to diagnose just by listening to the symptoms because it could be virtually anything. And if I have to venture a guess here, I think she's probably got an inflammatory condition of the the conjunctiva and that's causing the discomfort and the itchiness for her. So that needs a bit of attention. Hello, Katie and the doctor, the doctor Poison. I'm actually recovering from what I can call a boil on my eyelid. And it's not the first time it happened. It also occurred in 2020. So I'm wondering, is this a condition or something that is passing? I must not worry about it because I went to the clinic and got the medication. Sure, this is Temba in Begville. Right, a lot of these things that you get in your eyelids, there's two of them that's called a audiolum. A audiolum is just a spy. So you can get an internal spy in the different little gland. And you can also get something called a chalazion, which is not an infectious one, but that becomes like a hard lump that sits in the eyelid. And they're all related to the meibomian glands, which are little oil glands in the lid itself. So these oil glands get blocked or they get infected. You can either get the spy, which is the audiolum, an internal one, which is infectious, well, they just get blocked and the pressure builds up in them, they call the chalazion. So the underlying problem is probably something to do with the, with the oil glands that, that are not functioning properly and that needs to be addressed. The only way to get really rid of these things is to drain them. So, um, you know, medication doesn't really have a big effect on them. You have to actually go and drain them and get rid of them um, and then maybe get into a systemic antibiotic for a few few weeks or whatever to, to mm. try and control it. Uh, topical medication doesn't really make much difference. Would you advise people to drain them themselves or must they get a no. doctor to do it? Yeah. No, I think it's quite painful. Um, I'm not sure. I've, I haven't seen a patient try to do that on his own. They normally get quite ill, especially if it's infectious. Remember, these structures are quite close to, to your brain and you know you don't want anything like a cellulitis developing that goes into the eye socket and can affect you. Brain. So I would not suggest to squeeze any of these things on your eyelids or in your nose bridge even, because the the vasculature there are, you know, quite there's, there's some important structures that can be affected a bit further back. So you don't do any of that if you don't have to. One of the best ways to treat these things is a hot compress. So if you've got one of those, put a hot compress on that'll 
you know, enhance the inflammation and it can spontaneously drain, you know, but I wouldn't suggest that you try and drain it yourself. Okay. Doctor, just on the right time, how safe is the uh, cataract operation? One will be having one tomorrow. KJ. KJ is very safe. You know, um, there's a small risk of infection. And that's why if they do cataract operations, they very rarely will do two eyes together. They'll do the one eye and the other eye about a week later. And you'll be treated with drops um, after the surgery to stop infection. So the main one there is infection. There's another risk of something going wrong in the procedure. But the guys these days are very, very good with it. And the equipment is excellent. So... The risk is very small. Uh, in my practice, we've never lost an eye because of a cataract operation. And I think that's very common these days. So I would say percentage-wise for infection, about 2%. But it's treatable, and um, if you're in good hands, you shouldn't have a problem at all. So don't worry. Dr. Boyson, that's where we're going to leave it for today. Uh, let me thank you so much for coming on to the show and for sharing your knowledge and your insight with us and the rest of our listeners that are part of the SFM community. Thank you, Kathy, and thanks for having me. And uh, I'm always available if you need, just phone or help. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Boyson. That's also where we come to the end of our show. I hope that you've been uh, able to get the answers that you need, at least for uh, those questions that we're able to get to. That's where we leave it for today on the thinking, not on on the thinking point, on the talking point. (laughs) The update at noon up next with Sakina Kamwendo.